Let me let me let me approach this from another direction. Then you're familiar, of course, with Genesis and the Tower of Babel, and mm -hmm. God basically saying, "I can't let these guys get away with trying to become God," and He smites them down, destroys the tower, and totally, you know, screws up their common language. What if mm -hmm. that's all a metaphor for a phase of the physics where people are in sync? And they go out of sync and they basically can't cooperate because they're at each other's throats and they wind up killing each other and now it's been exacerbated because someone as i said earlier has figured out how to technologically manipulate this so they're definitely trying to keep us screwed up so we won't go beyond where we are now welcome ladies and gentlemen to another show of aesthetic sound waves you know what? I'm going to be doing a lot of talking today. So, I'm going to cut straight to the chase today. I have, there's going to be a few main themes, and they're going to be building all into each other. Basically, all, all evolving into one idea. But in the end, um, or what I'm trying to say is, uh, I'm going to get straight to the point today because there's going to be a lot of talking, but I feel this needs to be heard, and it's stuff I've been wanting to get off my chest for a while. So, first and foremost, thank you to all my listeners. I'm getting a lot of uh, Apple, uh, iTunes, and a lot of mobile apps uh, hits, so thank you for those tuning in, win at wherever. Uh, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. Keep tuning in because I will keep posting good stuff. Anyway, so thank you to all my listeners, my all my Azzies out there. As I said, I need to get straight to the chase to this because uh got some weight to get off my shoulders today. So, <laughs> I originally wanted to do this episode around February time frame, but I think I was still very mad. And I guess, who isn't, right? About the political climate and the political situation that has happened since November. It took me since November to calm down, I think, to this point. And realize the outcome of a lot of things. With that said, <clears throat> first and foremost, before I go any further, I am... Um, not a Republican, and I am not a Democrat. I'm Libertarian. So, with that said, let me say this. I have, uh, I look at, I'm looking at my paper, and I have it noted three main themes, because I don't want to get sidetracked, because I could go off in 3,000 directions, and I'm not. So, I'm going to stay on my themes today. This last election was rigged. We all know that. Whether you, whether you were on either party side, especially, especially if um, you're a third party. I'm going to get into that later, but you saw the true colors of the media. And the government, how they really feel about us as third party members and what we 
stand out as. And even the parties themselves showed their true colors to the candidates we had. Let's be honest. Whether you're a Democrat or the Republican, the choices were lousy. They weren't the best. We know who's president now. I didn't want either way. Well, I mean, in the end, the Libertarian Party had our candidate. I felt he was a good choice. And uh, he didn't get highlighted enough. And it's really made me mad for months upon months, even up till now, because he got highlighted. Gary Johnson did. But he didn't get highlighted enough. Because everyone's so focused on so many dis different aspects. And this could have come from whether you're a right-wing news media. And I'm, and this is major corporate I'm really getting into. Once again, I'll get further into that. But whether you were either le it was left or right, they were choosing the candidate they felt best. The major corporate media, right? We all saw this coming and the parties also decided that and as I said the third part it made me very mad for a long time because uh, I think it's the ignorance of a lot of voters you see that come around during uh, election time frames and they say well and we heard it during this last election I said there's no one else to vote for the, we can't choose between the two and sometimes I keep my mouth shut but I would say well you know there's a third party candidate but there's other choices you know we had way more other choices than just those two it didn't mean that they'd win you know what that one person might take away votes from the lesser of the two evils right so and as I said, I wasn't an, a Hillary supporter, and I was neither a Trump supporter. I hated the fact Trump was running, and I don't like the fact he's in office now. But I wasn't Hillary either. I wasn't for Bernie, but you know what? <laughs> Let's be honest, Bernie, Bernie, uh, people who supported Bernie supporters, they were mad. They, they didn't like the fact that they had Hillary and to choose just between Hillary and even you know what shut up I'm gonna get into that after this but this uh, first part I want to play but let's be honest we were given horrible choices in the end it was not up to us who they who who we got to choose whether you're either party but what's really triggering my emotions and made me the most mad was the ignorance that the media showed to elevate the voters minds and even the government and the education system I mean we're gonna go that far <laughs> to say here are other options you don't have to just vote Republican or Democrat there are other ways other alternatives but I love my country, but I also cannot stand the fact 
that we have this two-party idea in our heads that it has to either be Republican, Democrat, black or white. Excuse me when I take a sip of my water because I'm still containing my emotions here. But a little better than what I would have a few months ago. And I say this because today I'm going to be aiming at both sides and other areas. But, which brings me to my main point. I'm going to be playing for you a excerpt off of Malcolm X's uh, recorded record, Ballots or Bullets, a famous speech he did here in Detroit at King Solomon Church, actually, on April 12, 1964, a little, a little less than a year before he died. <laughs> There's a lot to this, you know, different time frame, but still same stuff, if you really listen to it for the most part. Um... It, and, and there's some, I will get more further into it. And you know what? There are no words that I can even, even try to expound on or say that would, uh, that would not even get into your mind as I think Malcolm X's words would say. So I really would rather have him play this or or play this of his speech that he gave because there's a lot to this so this is going to be my answer one of my first themes as I said about the third party deal and yes I'm going to be hating on the liberal side why well right now I got sick of hearing and I get smashed on this a lot People say, oh, you know, you're Latino, you should be voting liberal, things like that. And, you know, they find a libertarian. Most people don't know what a libertarian is in the first place. But, um, deep in thought right now, thinking. <laughs> but, and whether you're black, white, it doesn't matter. And then, then, worst part of it all is they say, oh, you know, you're a minority. Number one, Latinos aren't minorities. We're the majority in this country. I won't go off on that. But whether it be, they go off in any case, whether it be gender-based, oh, you're a woman, why aren't you voting liberal? You know, and they did that with Hillary, right? They said, oh, you're a woman. You should be voting for Hillary. She's all for women's rights. They guilted people. You know, and that's a typical thing of the liberal party to do. Hey, conservatives are the same uh, have their things too. Don't give me run. I don't think I'm not dashing out against them either. Or not against them, excuse me. I guess my main point is this. Is that the manipulative nature that I saw on both sides in this election. But the liberal side really was playing their cards. And uh, I'm sorry, I have to say it that way. So... I guess I'm going to shut up, and I am going to uh, play this Malcolm X speech because I feel that he says it way better than what I ever will, and it's going to hit harder, I think, to the heart and mind. With that said, um, 
Ballots or Bullets by Malcolm X. Why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro community. You never see them until election time. You can't find them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American, and got sense enough to know it. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. One of the 22 million black victims of the Republicans and one of the 22 million black victims of Americanism. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican, nor an American. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. When we open our eyes today and look around America, we see America not through the eyes of someone who, have, who has enjoyed the fruits of Americanism. We see America through the eyes of someone who has been the victim of Americanism. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it and are not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you were born in jail. If you're black, you were born in jail. In the North as well as the South. Stop talking about the South. Long as you south of the long as you south of the Canadian border, you're south. Don't call Governor Wallace a Dixie governor. Romney is a Dixie governor. Twenty-two million black victims of Americanism are waking up and they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become, uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these uh, political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, uh, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, that, which means that any block any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're, you're in a position to determine who go to the White House and who stay in the doghouse. You're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson in Washington, D.C., or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch.
You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. This, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they've brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. <laughs> and now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Because you're a chump. A political chump. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republican. In the Senate, there are 67 uh, Democrats. Only 33 are Republicans. The party that you've backed controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you because you're a chump. <laughs> Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. <laughs> And what kind of alibi do they come up with? They try and pass the buck to the Dixiecrats. Now, back during the days when you were blind, deaf, and dumb, ignorant, politically immature, naturally you went along with that. But today, as your eyes come open and you develop political maturity, you're able to see and think for yourself. And you can see that a Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat in disguise. You look at the structure of the uh, government that controls this country. It's controlled by 16 senatorial committees and 20 congressional committees. Of the 16 senatorial committees that run the government, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. Of the 20 congressional committees that run the government, 12 of them in the, are in the hands of Southern segregationists. And they're going to tell you and me that the South lost the war. today have, are in the hands of a government of segregationists, racists, white supremacists, who belong to the Democratic Party but disguise themselves as Dixocrats. A uh, Dixocrat is nothing but a Democrat. Whoever runs the Democrats is also the father of the Dixocrats, and the father of all of them is sitting in the White House. I say and I say it again, you got a president who's nothing but a southern segregationist.
from the state of Texas. They'll lynch you in Texas as quick as they'll lynch you in Mississippi. Only in, in Texas, they lynch you with a Texas accent. In Mississippi, they lynch you with a Mississippi accent. And the first thing the cracker does when he comes in power, he takes all the Negro leaders and invites them for coffee. To show that he's all right. And those Uncle Toms can't pass up the coffee. They come away from the coffee table telling you and me that this man is all right. Because he's from the South. And since he's from the South, he can deal with the South. And look at the logic that they're using. What about Eastland? He's from the South. Make him the president. He can, if, if Johnson is a good man because he's from Texas, and, it, and being from Texas will enable him to deal with the South, Eastland can deal with the South better than Johnson. <laughs> oh, I say, you've been misled. You've been had. You've been took. in Washington a couple weeks ago while the senators were filibustering. And I noticed in the back of the Senate a huge map. And on this map, it showed the distribution of Negroes in America. And surprisingly, the same senators that were involved in the filibuster were from the states where there were the most Negroes. Why were they filibustering the civil rights legislation? Because the civil rights legislation is supposed to guarantee voting rights to Negroes in those states. And those senators from those states know that if the Negroes in those states can vote, those senators are down the drain. The representatives of those states go down the drain. And in the Constitution of this country, it has a stipulation wherein whenever the rights, the voting rights of people in a certain district are violated, then the representative who rep who's from that particular district, according to the Constitution, is supposed to be expelled from the Congress. Now, if this particular aspect of the Constitution was enforced, why, you wouldn't have a cracker in Washington, D.C. But what would happen? When you expel the Dixocrat, you're expelling the Democrat. When you destroy the power of the Dixocrat, you're destroying the power of the Democratic Party. So how in the world can the Democratic Party in the South actually side with you in sincerity when all of its power is based in the, in the South? These Northern Democrats are in cahoots with the Southern Democrats. They plan a giant con game, a political con game. You know how it goes. One of, the, one of them comes to you and make believe he's for you. And he's in cahoots with the other one that's not for you. Why? Because neither one of them is for you. But they got to make you go with one of them or the other. So this is a con game. And this is what they've been doing with you and me all these years. 
First thing Johnson got off the plane when he become president, he asked, where's Dickie? You know who Dickie is? Dickie is old Southern cracker Richard, Ru Richard Russell. Look here, yes. Lyndon B. Johnson's best friend is the one who is ahead, who's heading the forces that are filibustering civil rights legislation. You tell me how in the hell is he gonna be Johnson's best friend? Can Johnson be his friend and your friend too? No, that man is too tricky. Especially if his friend is still old Dickie. <laughs> Whenever the Negroes keep the Democrats in power, they're keeping the Dixocrats in power. This is true. A vote for a Democrat is nothing but a vote for a Dixocrat. I know you don't like me saying that, but I, I'm not the kind of person who come here to say what you like. I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. Up here in the North, you have the same thing. The Democratic Party don't, don't do it. Doesn't, they don't do it that way. They got a thing that they call gerrymandering. They, they maneuver you out of power. Even though you can vote, they fix it so you're voting for nobody. <laughs> they got you going and coming. In the South, they're outright political wolves. In the North, they're political foxes. A fox and a wolf are both canine. Both belong to the dog family. choice. You're going to choose a northern dog or a southern dog. Because either dog you choose, I guarantee you, you'll still be in the doghouse. This is why I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. Malcolm X, ballots or bullets. Assassinated on February 21st, 1965. Recorded April 12th, 1964. This, uh, this record was released later in the early 70s. That's really... Uh, that, that, that... I'm just giving you information on this record, but that there's really not any reason to, there's no point to that. <clears throat> so, more on, as I said, I can't say, no words of mine can match what he says and his points. But my statements and my own opinions can also hopefully say other things to other people. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's funny. I originally grew up in a small town, right? I'm half and half. 
I've said this before on some certain issues. I'm half white. I'm half Latino. So, you know, a mixture. Man, I'm proud of both. So, when I grew up at a young age, <laughs> I, uh, very young, I had a heavy Hispanic accent, and very young, around the age of five. I also, my mom, who's from the South, had a Southern accent. So, the Southern accent leaked into my veins. I spoke fast, and, uh, <laughs> I also had a speech impediment. You combine those four things, and I was very hard. It was, or it was very hard for me to understand, or to understand me, excuse me, even up to this day, uh, which is the reason why I am very bad with speaking to people, why I can be quiet many times, and even up to this second, why I think I get a little afraid, because, you know, I was afraid, you know, it just goes back to that natural fear of people judging you on how you speak, which I have learned to overcome. But, uh, you know, it's still there. Why do I say this? <laughs> well, back in the day, because of my people, because people could not understand what I could say, was was saying and the, the lack of understanding and communication I was sent to three years of speech therapy to clear my speech up to sound so-called proper <laughs> I was assimilated my voice naturally never sounded like this fast forward years down the road I uh Certain situation, a teacher um, over-dramatized my last name, right? You know, I said something, and they were, and then my brother and sister have both gotten this, but we would get this a lot, and in general, they would, uh, you know, I got to straight up tell you this before I get any further. The town I grew up in was either white or Hispanic. It was neither, it was pretty much nothing much in between, right? So being half and half, it taught me to just be myself for years. And, you know, I was picked on because I was neither side. If I wasn't, um, if I, the white people, okay, I just got to say this. The white people didn't, the ignorant ones at least, uh, did, it, it, they would not like me because they thought I was Mexican. And the Mexicans would not like me because they saw straight through that I was not Mexican and they saw that I was also white. You know, they can see a mile away. You know, I'm South American. So I was picked on a lot by both sides. Why do I say this? Right? Well, <laughs> we... It's funny because I always identified myself as however I was. I was whatever it is it is, right? So it's one few more than a few times just not not just this one person but a lot of times you know people would almost expect me to live to a stereotype or not kind of say certain things and I wouldn't react to a certain Latino stereotype they'd say a typical statement you hear these are liberal people they would say oh you need to be proud but that's your roots you need to be proud of your heritage 
So I'm refraining from any cuss words that I'm about to say. So, <laughs> but in my head, I was thinking, look, fool. <laughs> I am, but, you know, I don't know. You want to stereotype me. That's what you want to do. They would lay a guilt trip on me. So, with that said, Malcolm X says something in that speech. He says, in election time frame, you don't see a politicians in the bad parts of the neighborhood, basically, or in the black community until it comes election time. Then they say, hey, here we are. How can we help you? Right? And this goes for a, a lot of other cases, too. They just do it for your votes. They do it for your votes, whether they're Republican, Democrat, even my own party, third party. They do it for the votes. You cannot trust a politician. We know this. But for them to say, you know, he said, uh, and, and everyone laughed, I think you recall part of the speech where he says, he invite he, he invites all they invite all the black leaders and have a cup of coffee with them to say uh, he he's a this this candidate he's a good guy right to win you over smooth it over try to put some jazz on you um it's really true the moral of the story ladies and gentlemen has a few things I told you there's going to be a few main things combined into one, and there still is. But I wanted you to hear it out of uh, a, a very intelligent man's own mouth rather than just uh, my own opinion. <laughs> the um, Don't be fooled. Just because someone of your own color ideas or whatever comes up to you and says, hey, I support you, doesn't mean they're for you. They might have a sinister meaning behind it all, some hidden agenda. So you got to watch out, very much so. Don't be fooled and don't be blinded by an ignorant, and I'm saying that a lot today, but it's, it's so so, uh, so true don't be blinded by ignorance whether them you what you watch on TV okay or read or hear it's either this choice or that choice no no you have alternatives think people you have a brain don't let the machine do the thinking for you. And that's where I also build and to the third party deal. And I'm not going to get onto that anymore. It is plays a big part of it. Use that analytical mind of yours. Lack of thought is being taught now. not expansion of thought to our kids to us I won't go in I guess I I think I might be a little bit 
straying off topic, but I'm not. These are things I'm, I've been wanting to get off my chest for a while. Censorship hardcore and alienation. These are all things that get combined just as the assimilation that I went through to sound proper. And yet I get shamed years down the road for not being Hispanic enough. Well, you're the one who destroyed my accent, aren't you? No, I don't. You know what? I don't hate anyone on this sense. I'm not, I'm not saying down on Whitey and down on this person. All I'm saying is just because someone says something doesn't mean they're really in it for you. You got to really look at the message and the depth of their character. Hell, if you want to boil that down to me, okay, fine. Go for it. I'll even say that. That's why I'm saying this with, without trying to be mad. Um, so, with that said, after playing that uh, Malcolm X speech, I think I'm going to be playing... Actually, hold on. One thing also, for those out there probably saying, oh, you know, done on all media. No, I'm not actually. I used to actually work at a small television station um, at a set designated area here in the nation. Uh, small market. A lot of good people in there, actually. So not all media is bad, Okay. We do actually have a lot of good media out there that tries to do alternative forms of news, gives you other views um, from world to to local to non things like that. So where is my rant today? Well, <laughs> it's not in the small market ones that you know. Example, I'll give you a few stations I like when I did have cable. I like free speech TV. That's actually pretty good. Don't always like everything I put in there, but they at least are trying to put something of a different thought in there. Unconventional. Uh, uh, something unconventional. You have RT, which has, you know, I mean, you have all these other outlets. So I'm not exactly dissing, okay, on all. I'm, I'm a person that says not all. For anything for the most part you know what I mean just this certain percentage out there that reflects you got bad apples everywhere so because of that I'm not insulting the people and the right media outlets that do right I'm insulting the major corporate networks that are brainwashing us and everyone else to think a one-way street A little narrow tunnel. This is the way it is. Only way, and it should be that way. We don't want you to think. Thinking is prohibited. That's what I'm trying to get out here. And that builds into everything I have said. For the most part. That's 
the media I'm dissing on because those are the people, whether it be on television, radio, and or newspapers, that affect our train of thought and make us numb and dumb. I told you I had a lot to get off my chest today. There's other excerpts of the speech I would love to play. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to save this for other episodes. Def, you know, I got to give a shout out to my boy Fahim down in ATL. I, there's one I really wanted to include in here, but I think that's going to be for another time and for another day, another time. Uh, but yeah, Fahim, I think I got an episode. I know you're listening to this because I'm going to text you, number one. <laughs> On this, too, I think um, I got something else in store just for you, and I, I know you're going to dig it, man. Um, yeah. There's a, this, if, if, if you have never read this speech and or heard it before, I highly suggest it's uh, good. And for those who have also listened to me for a while, they know that um, I brought, you know, I read Mal um, Malcolm X's autobiography a long time ago. And like everyone else, it really changed my, my way of thinking and my way of thought um, process uh, as a thinker anyway. But it really hit me. So that's why I like reading and hearing Malcolm X material and other people. Not just him. Anyway, this next son, not son, excuse well, I am getting to a son, but this next thing I'm playing for you is a son. The, the guy's name, I played him before, Hip Hop MC Underground, probably one of the most underrated, Immortal Technique. comes off his album, Revolutionary Volume 2. The title of the song is called Fourth Branch. I've said it once, and I'll say it before. I may not always agree with s certain things he says, but then again, I agree with a lot of things he says. I want you to take a listen to this song. Well, I guess I'll just take it out with that. So... I'll speak to you in a minute. Interrupt, interrupt, before we get into that. Um, I told you I get distracted in my thought, and I usually forget some things. I have to say this before I forget it. Something I wrote a long time ago, and I think this is uh, a <laughs> long, long time. It's a one-statement thing. I actually wanted to make it more into a poem, but somehow it never made it. So this has never been heard anywhere or read anywhere or seen. First time coming out with it. Who knows? Maybe I'll put something out. Anyway, um, I wrote down on a piece of paper, I said, bilingual is not a fad. It is a state of mind. Think about that, though. It's true. I'll be back in a minute after Immortal Technique. upon us, and yet the past refuses to rest in its shallow grave. For those who hide behind the false image of the Son of Man shall stand before God, 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 God
voice of racism preaching the gospel is devilish a fake church called the prophet muhammad a terrorist forgetting god is not religion but a spiritual bond and jesus is the most quoted prophet in the quran they bombed innocent people trying to murder saddam when you gave them those chemical weapons to go to war with iran this is the information that they hold back from peter jennings because condoleezza rice is just a new age sally hemmings i break it down with critical language and spiritual anguish the judas i hang with the guilt of betraying christ who murdered him stole his religion and painted him white translated and psychologically tainted philosophy conservative political right-wing ideology glued together sloppily the blasphemy of a nation got my back to the wall because i'm facing assassination guantanamo bay federal incarceration how could this be the land of the free home of the brave indigenous holocaust and the home of the slaves corporate america dancing offbeat to the rhythm you really think this country never sponsored terrorism human rights violations we continue the saga el salvador and the contras and nicaragua and on top of that you still want to take me to prison just because i won't trade humanity for patriotism it's like mk ultra controlling your brain suggestive thinking causing your perspective to change they want to rearrange the whole point of view of the ghetto the fourth branch of the government wants to settle a bandana full of glittering generality fighting for freedom and fighting terror but what's reality read about the history of the place that we live in and stop letting corporate news tell lies to your children flow like the blood of abraham through the jews and the arabs broken apart like a woman's heart abused in the marriage the brink of holy war bottled up like a miscarriage embedded correspondence don't tell the source of the tension and they refuse to even mention european intervention or the massacres in janine the innocent screams u.s manufactured missiles and m16s weapon contracts and corrupted american dreams media censorship blocking out the video screens a continent of oil kingdoms bought for a bargain democracy is just a word when the people are starving the average citizen made to be blind to the reason a desert full of genocide where the bodies are freezing and the world doesn't believe that you're fighting for freedom because you fucked the middle east and gave birth to a demon it's open season with the cia bugging my crib trapped in a ghetto region like a palestinian kid where nobody gives a fuck whether you die or you live i'm trying to give the truth and i know the price is my life but when i'm gone they'll sing a song about immortal technique who beheaded the president and the princes and sheiks you don't give a fuck about us i can see through your facade like a fallen angel standing in the presence of god bitch nigga scared of the truth when it looks at you hard it's like mk ultra controlling your brain suggestive thinking causing your perspective to change they want to rearrange the whole point of view in the ghetto the fourth branch of the government want us to settle a bandana full of glittering generality fighting for freedom and fighting terror but what's reality martial law is coming soon to the hood to kill you while you hanging your flag out your project window yeah the fourth branch of the government aka the media seems to now have a retirement plan for ex-military officials as if their opinion was at all unbiased a machine shouldn't speak for men so shut the fuck up you mindless drone and you know it's serious when these same media outfits are spending millions of dollars on a pr campaign to try to convince you they're fair and balanced when there's some of the most ignorant and racist people giving that type of mentality a safe haven
We act like we share in the spoils of war that they do. We die in wars. We don't get the contracts to make money off them afterwards. We don't get weapons contracts, nigga. We don't get cheap labor for our companies, nigga. We are cheap labor, nigga. Turn off the news and read, nigga. Read. I think at this point, well, I have made my point. So, I am going to, at this point, uh, uh, I'm going to read something that, if anyone's ever heard of these, um, these old analog books, science fact, science fiction. They've been going since the 1930s, and uh, it's it's re they're really interesting. Actually, um, they still make them today. Uh, very good books. If you like science fiction, because we all know that true science fiction is not just Star Wars and blasting things with phasers. There's actually um, a nice depth with things in true science fiction where usually there's a moral to the story, or a lot of times there's a a political theme mixed with this and that in between. These are really good stories. Uh, if anyone's ever wanted to look into it, once again, it's called Analog, Science Fact to Science Fiction. Or I think they might have just changed it to Science Fact. Either way, something I read, though, this comes out of issue uh, June 1962 from the editor of it at the time. And uh, uh, his name is uh, John W. Campbell. The title of this, and it's, I'm not going to lie to you, it's long. And I could have chosen just to read a few paragraphs here and there. Nah, not all that long. But, so, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an NPR orator here, so it's not going to be perfect. But I am going to say, I want to read this to you, because... There's a lot of things he builds upon, a lot of analogies and metaphors that make so much sense. Even first time I read it, I was like, where's this guy going? I'm like, oh, this is awesome, right? So I'm going to read this. So bear with me because in the end, I think when I read this at the time, I was still formulating this show. And I remember I said, that's what I want to put into my show. I was just waiting for the right time. So, let's start, shall we? Title of it, Deadly Fantasy, by John W. Campbell. <clears throat> he who lives by the sword shall indeed die by the sword, but history also shows that death rate among those who seek to live without the sword, i.e. without the use of weapons of force, is even higher. And while man cannot live without dreams, it is also true that he who seeks to live by fantasies shall die by his fantasy. Okay, hold on a second. This is me. He gets into a lot... He Keep in mind, when I read this, this was written in 1962. This guy, you can tell, was a libertarian on his own issues, 
by the way he reads this art where he, he excuse me by the way he writes this article and the way he goes off on the UN which is funny because if you still look at the UN today it shows that time in history really doesn't change there's a lot of things that still go hand in hand anyway I'm gonna get back into this I have to read this whole thing there's it's very good read open quote again the United Nations is a strange organization indeed. As of early 1962, it is seeking to live a fantasy and it is most inevitably going to die. If the fantasy is not rejected, the fantasy is very simply defined. To suggest that all nations should become equal is an ideal. To suggest that all nations are equal is not merely fantasy, but delusion. And in a world organization, the delusion is lethal. United Nations was originally organized almost entirely at the behest and under the driving determination of five personalities, five wise old hand political leaders who at a time of great world crisis had combined to destroy an existence menace, Nazi Germany. Five men, far more, uh, far more than their five nations, founded the United Nations. It was born in a time of war, and war has remarkable therapeutic powers when it comes to removing grandest delusions and making men see the importance of pragmatic facts. You know the kind. Any one of us is worth ten of those bastards. It's easy to say until the battle starts. The fact of war removes that kind of delusion. On the other hand, there is the reverse delusion. We outnumber them ten to one. We will overrun them by sheer mass. That one incidentally has its most classical demonstration as a grandest delusion when 40,000 Aztec warriors met Cortez and his 400 Spaniards on the field of battle. It turned out that one Spaniard plus a hundred generations of the development of battlefield technology was more than equal of 100 Aztecs. The United Nations Charter was worked out, not exactly on the battlefield, but definitely within the sound of the roar of a transoceanic bomber and the muffled mighty roar of, the, of, of fissioning U-235. The men who directed that development were, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Charles de Gala, Joseph Stalin, and, and Chiang Kai-shek. Five remarkable personalities. It doesn't take a cult personality to make it perfectly clear that those five were personalities, tower, towering, dominating, autocratic, abnormally competent individuals. For better or worse, each was a tremendous individual, and each was wise and wily and remarkably hard-headed and hard-fisted statesmen. With the diamond-hard facts of war at work right then as a present thing, not a potential threat, the men who not a potential threat. The men who set about, about drawing up the charter faced hard, unpleasant facts, and a move that does not remain strong in peacetime. The old Romans said that there was truth in wine. The Spaniards called that moment when the bullfighter goes in to kill, or to be killed. Those horns are not ornamental, as many a dead man and dead lion could testify. The moment of truth, all fair in love and war, because in either instance... Is there room for wrist-slapping, half-measures? Is it in its own way a matter of simple survival, genetically in one case, individually in the other? 
Under those conditions, delusions, illusions, fantasies, and sweet ideas appear less desirable. Truths can be faced and acted on. The men who drafted the United Nations Charter were humbled by the immense facts of an immense war, and under those conditions abandoned the lovely peacetime delusions that all nations are equal. All nations are not equal. They never have been. Conceivably, they might someday be equal, but they certainly aren't. In the immediate presence of the Great War, and just off stage, presence of the Great Bomb, Men of many nations bowed to facts and established a United Nations Charter that recognized those facts. There were five great nations. All the lesser nations on the planet combined are not equal of one of the great nations when the moment of truth comes. Only one of the great nations can in any way seriously menace one of the great nations. Lesser nations could at most annoy a great nation acutely. Cuba for instance, is an acute irritation to the United States at the moment. It is utterly and lucidly clear that if Cuba constituted a true threat to this nation, Cuba would, in a matter of few hours, cease to exist. Let us not kid around with simple effects. The United States has in hand weaponry adequate to knock the flat, to knock the flat, the immense power of the Soviet Union. What do you think such powers would do to Cuba? Iran, Pakistan, a dozen other minor nations are in much the same way irritating the Soviets. Does anyone question the Soviet power to annihilate them? And then there's this lovely little phrase, world opinion would turn against them. World opinion he has world quoted. World opinion. Let's stop kidding. Means one and only one thing. Yuri thought. Now we get to my point. Back to article. Powers would turn against them. If 95 of the 100 United Nations opposed the U.S. or the Soviet moves, but the great nations were simply uninterested, the Congo, maybe, which can't integrate itself as yet, would perhaps bring effective force to bear, or the Soviets would stop because of the threat and disapproval of the Grand Duchy of Liechtenstein. Somehow that doesn't match with the concept of the moment of truth. It sounds more like the kind of truth one finds in wine. Then let's consider the matter of opinion. It is an interesting question as to how many of the people in the world would know anything about, for instance. Oh, we talk about the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain, censoring the news uh, and the Bamboo sorry backtrack and the bamboo curtain censoring the news and their people first let's be honest enough to acknowledge that we get nothing but carefully censored for our own good of course news in this country simplest example was the newspaper censorship of the news of the training camps that are highly disorganized cuban invasion attempt practically everyone in russia knew about all those camps we were the ones who didn't and the shriekingly funny business after World War II that allowed scientists anywhere in the world except the U.S. to have full data on the Hiroshima bomb. Because naturally, the Japanese had more data on its effects. Fission, product, uh, product radioactivity, fission, uh, product, nucleides, etc. than we did. And right there. And actually, all Japanese military information became the joint property of the conquering allies, including 
practically the entire world except Italy and Germany. So complete data was circulating free, freely internationally, except that it couldn't leak into U.S. scientists. But I'm not considering the limitation of an opinion by the governmental censorship. I'm considering such simple matters as the fact that there are a number of member UN nations which haven't been able to determine their literacy rate because they haven't enough literate individuals to count the illiterates. And there are areas that don't dare send any illiterate man or woman to because the local tribes will serve him or her up for dinner. Do the citizens of these nations constitute effective world opinion? Fortunately, their illiteracy prevents them from having opinions on the world, and you can imagine the breadth of the international wisdom that they would apply to matters if they did have opinions. The great advantage of the great advantage the framers of the UN's charter had was that during the last days of the Great War, facts of the real world were being clearly illuminated by the light of firestorms over great cities, by mass bomber raids in which the giant bombers in the night sky literally outnumbered the visible stars. And just off stage, but well known to the five dominating personalities, the still more brilliant illumination of the detonating detonating U U-2315 and plutonium. The fantasy and equality of nations was blown away, and the hard facts of the long, tough road to full-scale nation nationhood more readily seen then. So the charter that was worked up provided a system that recognized these facts. No great nation can afford to act unilaterally, nor can the rest of the world afford to act against the determination of any great nation. Therefore, each of the great nations was given the veto power, and only the great nations were, for only one of the great nations could in the real world of actual events really veto the action of any other nation. Simple, obvious. That's why we haven't slapped the irritating marathon TV mugger Castro away from his favorite microphone. Russia vetoed it. And that's why the Soviets haven't dispensed with those irritating and oil-rich Middle Eastern nations. The U.S. vetoed it. By the reason of the great power veto, and no other reason whatsoever, Fidel plays TV star happily, and Middle Eastern kingdoms continue to sell their oil to the world. It makes no difference whatever how the rest of the nations of the world feel about it, what the world opinion is. And the great power veto is real in the real world. And, therefore, belongs in the, me in the mechanism of the valid United Nations organization. But the great power veto idea is most, un most un undemocratic. It suggests that some nations are better or superior to others. And also, the Soviets have on several occasions used the veto power to block moves we could have pushed through without that. Uncomfortable as it may be to acknowledge it, Nikita Khrushchev is perfectly correct in stating that the original intent of the UN Charter has been very efficiently distorted. The five autocratic personalities who dominated the original UN founding sessions were autocratic personalities and were wise practical statesmen. Be it remembered, the wise, sound, and necessary necessary thing may not very often is not a desired thing. It may do deep violence to beloved ideas, and it may still be wise thing to do. The net effect of the moves that have made the General Assembly, where each nation has one equal vote, 
The dominant mechanism of the UN has been to make the Security Council cease to have any particular mean. What the Security Council does can be overruled and inverted or suppressed. The result is inevitably the great world force that the United Nations should be reacting to and dealing with have been dragged down to the typical harder wheel parting getting level of practical politics. Now the annual budget of New York City is greater than the annual budget of most, in fact almost all, of, of, of the members of the nation, United Nations. Only those nations truly important in present and future world affairs have greater annual budgets. The great to-do about helping backward nations is based on precisely the same fundamental mechanism that leads to the loud ward healer cries of help the poor downtrodden. You can buy votes cheapest from people who are near starvation level. Once again, what was I hitting at earlier? Not actually, not me. What was Malcolm X hitting at earlier? My own statement. Uh, this has led to some loud and valid complaints from our South American neighbors. There, there are real problems and complex problems of transition from semi-peas, uh, excuse me, from semi-peasant to industrial economies. The investment of major capital there can bring about immense changes, raise standards of living from moderate to high as the industrialization takes hold. But this isn't done without peanuts. It takes thousands of millions. And 100 million invested dollars invested in the South American nation would not assure the vote of that nation on the side uh, of we wanted. Even such an economic ar ar argument would not be overwhelming to nations already moderately wealthy. These are already strong, self-respecting nations. But a few millions can make an immense difference in one of the extremely primitive backward countries. For one thing, the simple fact that most of the African nations, as of now, aren't nations at all in our sense of the term. They are simply a group of local politicians who succeed in grabbing power and speak for people who are largely tribesmen and want absolutely nothing but to be left alone to go back to the good old ways. If you can buy the vote of a nation by buying the good will of five men, that's much cheaper than the statesmanship, isn't it? Naturally, when the ward healer vote roundup systems get started, both parties start paying it. The U.S. has more cash money to offer local politicos. The Soviets have the advantage that their system offers what the local politico wants, personal political power. After all, the U.S. does keep insisting that the political who, who's won his position by cutthroat politics route and knows his fellow countrymen well enough to know perfectly well he'll lose his head along with his job if he slips isn't really taken with his democratic idea of taking turns playing ruler in his country he knows for a fact if the u.s agent on the scene is too naive to recognize the fact that one doesn't resign and retire one suddenly drops dead ask patrice lumumba I've never been, this is another glass thought, I've never been, I've never gone off on a Patrice Lumumba thought, but you know <laughs> the story of Patrice Lumumba 
and certain things, well, that's going to ring a bell. That's going to make some sense. Back to article. And anyone want to write on any insurance policy on Deshaun Boyer, Gazinga, possibly by the time this editorial appears, the question will be outdated. These are real facts of a real world in which real nations simply do not match the fantasy of all nations are equal. The great power veto is necessary because it's real. The answer to the veto is not getting the General Assembly to vote it down because what the General Assembly votes has no more effect on reality than human opinion has force on gravity. The proper answer to the great power view is to face the real fact that a change of ideas of attitudes on both sides is going to be necessary. That, in present state of weaponry, we simply cannot afford to override a great nation veto in the old traditional way of war. And if we can't afford to override a great nation veto in reality, we can only mean by war than its purest self-delusion to find tricks that override it in the UN. All that does is make the UN a stage for posturing politicians. A place where fantasies are acted out as though they were real, happenings in a real world. To hold that Russia is always the one that's run in the attitude of unrealistic and intransigious, uh, I'm always right and they're always wrong. There are times when the weapons of force are the right answer. That was finally recognized to be true in the Congo and the UN applied the need needed force in dealing with the nations so un, un so unintegrated with with a people so illiterate and so inaccessible to communication so badly led hard hard sharp massive force is kindest method like a parent slapping down two children who have started going for each other with sticks it's time to use real power before they seriously injure each other then there are times when weapons of force are absolutely untenable answer. That's nonsense about being red or dead avoids the real issue. This is one of the things that started hating me. Glass thought. Well, let me start back. This nonsense about being red or dead avoids the real issue. Would you rather be reasonable or dead? That's the choice. And the reasonable does not mean having what you now think is the right way when. What you want is, of course, a third alternative, neither red or dead. Fine. Then look for a third alternative between our, 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 our righteous way and their awful communism. Because we aren't so righteous and they aren't so awful. And thinking they are is the way to get the red and dead solution. The kind of trachea I'm in favor of, a system that acknowledges that there's a third alternative, not dead, not red, and not unchanged in attitude. Look, why is the great power veto so terrible that we have to maneuver around it? Isn't it just a frustration to the Russians? They don't dare start a war a bit more than we do. I think perhaps the major difference is that they are realists enough to know that the great power veto is simply and validly reflects the fact we are trying to live in a fantasy in which numbers uh, of votes outweighs the facts of reality. Arguments can change votes. Arguments doesn't affect facts. 
Let's just consider one wild situation and see what votes versus facts would mean. Suppose that Russia sends a force into one of the neighboring Middle Eastern nations, says, say Iran. We'll assume that the Malagasy Republic is on the Security Council at the time, and that Iran is also on the Malagasy Republic, introduces a, re a resolution to the United States should launch an all-out nuclear attack on Russia, unless Russia immediately surrenders the military force in Iran. All five great powers would veto the measure naturally, so would Iran. If Iran's negative vote constituted a veto, start anything like that going and where to do nuclear hotspots start showing up. On the battlefield, Iran naturally, Iranese may be willing to fight for their homeland, but that won't be possible after a saturation nuclear attack has removed their homeland from existence. But the Malagasy Republic bypasses the great power veto in the General Assembly. Now, an all-out nuclear attack, U.S. to U.S.S.R. or U.S.S.R. to U.S., it, it makes no difference whatever will mean the effective annihilation of all the Northern Hemisphere nations. What direct nuclear attack doesn't vaporize, fallout will destroy. But the Southern Hemisphere nations aren't in the same wind current system, and the Northern Hemisphere mixing is relatively slow. And a nation, as well as south of the equator, as a Malagasy Republic, would probably survive the relatively little, uh, little immediately damage, and who cares about what happens generations hence? One thing sure, with all the northern hemisphere nations knocked flat in the southern hemisphere, nations would no longer be fifth-rate nations, backward nations. They'll be the most highly developed, pr uh, productive, and highest standard of living nations on earth for change. By reasons of jealousies, petty spites and fantasy drawings by reasons of misunderstandings of just what a nuclear war would really mean. For one reason or another, let's say that a majority General Assembly votes that the U.S. launch an immediate punitive nuclear attack on the USSR. They've overridden the great power in just a manner that we showed him, and it's now official that the United States must launch a punitive attack on the USSR. So what happens? The great power veto isn't just a parliamentary procedure. The parliamentary procedure is supposed to reflect the real world. The reality, the great power veto simply means that, of course, the United States ignores the whole silly business and goes about the serious business about getting the issue settled reasonably. It's quite impossible to live by any such fantasy as having votes of a lot of half-informed nations I want you to pay attention to this part. In fact, I'll reread that again. It is quite impossible to live by any such fantasy of having the vote of a lot of half-formed nations whose people are totally incapable of understanding the issues at stake. Try to sell the United States to take any such stupidly suicidal action. The fantasy that votes are m more important than facts or that numbers of votes determine what facts are as a lethal fantasy. I have made my choice. I flatly refuse to be either red or dead. I'm strongly in favor of being reasonable enough to find an attitude that's more livable. We need the United Nations, but only if it serves as a realistic system in which the real forces of the real world are accurately reflected. 
in a parliamentary system where they can be worked with to produce valid results. You can't navigate safely by an imaginary map of a non-existent sea and a map of the world that says there is a free passage, passageway right around the great power veto is an imaginary map. The free channel is lined solid with massive outcroppings of the continental bedrock and it is absolutely certain death to try to pass through. The editor. Lawn-winded. I read a lot to you there. But there, he built into a lot of themes that I've been saying in this show. What's funny about this is that the very end he puts a picture and it's kind of like a mental, he's mentally throwing his mic down. <laughs> kind of laugh. He puts a picture of a hand holding up of a book, holding up a book and a nuclear bomb going off. It's uh, it's very interesting. So, what did we get out of all that I just read to you? Everything I've been saying. It's this uh, five to six page article summed up a lot. He hit on politics, red or dead. Essentially saying that it's either one way or this way that one power shouldn't have this power to veto out and say, hey, you're you're lesser of, and then the votes, he hit on everything I said there. Bash the media, hardcore. And uh, basically, everything in the same way of thought. So, in essence, what I'm saying... Or in essence, that article, and I hope you enjoyed it. This comes out of Analog. Goodreads. Uh, either way. I know the show's been going on long enough. But maybe it's time that we start, or that I start giving more thought um, than more music. And I try to do both, but today was a pure thought episode. So I hope you enjoyed today, because with that article being done, <laughs> I'm going to say his words. There is no red or dead. There's an alternative. Think for yourself. My brother, a very intelligent man, he, um, he has a statement that I love. And... Uh, he always says, take everything with a grain of salt that you hear, see, or read. Um, and I think he's right on that. And that's a lot of things combined. So, I threw a lot at you today. But, um, it's like I said, this was me gaining a lot out. So... I hope you enjoyed today's show. So next time when it comes, ladies and gentlemen, something where we have to use our own minds and seeing behind the treachery of what someone's going to do, someone, something, and or a group, or whatever it might be, look at them. Try to figure out what's going on. The world is full of snakes.
Anyway, I guess now I am straying away. I, I'm just babbling. Azzy listeners, thank you. You have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And this is my outro for the day. I'm not closing with music. I want to close with thought. And the thought is boils down to one word. Think. Maybe a few. Think and be free. Free your mind from the conventional thought. And don't be afraid to go into a world where your mind can wonder and find itself, I guess. Maybe I'm trying to get too philosophical. But either way, let's be more individualistic. With that said, hopefully I touched a few people on this day. Even if it's one person. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good day. This is Glass. And I am signing out until the next show of Aesthetic Sound Waves. Until then, be safe. Next time, this is Glass. Yes, um... There's, there's two esoteric ways of looking at this. One uh, has to do with um, energies that are called in the esoteric parlance rays, and that we are moving from the last age where the nature of the energy was a movement from matter upward towards spirit. It gave birth to philosophers and um, religions and the whole idea was matter's bad, the bodies are bad, get rid of them, mm -hmm. get to nirvana as quickly as possible. <laughs>